John of All Trades Podcast, episode 299. I'm your host, John X. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back once again. And my God, this show is long overdue. Because seriously, what is my problem? Why did this take so long? One of my oldest friends, one of my dearest friends, someone I think about all the time. She is a punk rocker. She's an entrepreneur. And my God, how have I gone nearly 300 episodes without talking about ice cream? My guest this week is Ashley Garrison. She is co-owner of The Hop, an incredible chain of ice cream shops in Asheville, North Carolina. And Ashley is someone I adore from my time, my one year, in the Woodlands, Texas. Now, we were a couple of little punks there. We had our little punk and ska crew. We'd sit at the lunch table. We'd go to shows. We'd drive around, being bored teenagers, listening to Goldfinger, listening to the Mad Caddies, listening to Skank and Pickle, whatever. Whoever we could think of, whoever came on, it was phenomenal. And it's funny, that was only one year. But Ashley and I have stayed in touch that whole time. Now, if I can be a crusty old man for just a second, I think we lose something by just text-based conversations. Ashley and I used to have to call each other on the phone, right? Remember that. If you're a member of Gen Z, that probably terrifies you. But seriously, we would talk like probably once a week, once every two weeks, at worst once a month, and we made effort to keep up with each other. I went to her wedding. She didn't make it to mine. You'll find out why during this episode. But I'm so grateful to have someone like this in my life. I adore her. Her husband, Greg, is just an awesome dude. Had a great time with him at their wedding. I stayed at their house. It was awesome. And I'm so happy they have found success with this. Because in addition to being one of my best friends, in addition to sharing a love of punk rock, her entrepreneurial story is remarkable. Going from college student, working at the hop, to bumping up to manager, to basically running the entire operation, to buying it, to expanding it, it is incredible. And there's insights and anecdotes and very harrowing stories throughout this thing. Financial hardship, learning as you go, identifying opportunity, having kids, learning to let go, having people come on that share your vision that you can then offload things to. Seriously, if you are considering opening a business, particularly one that is retail, you need to listen to this episode because I think the lessons in here are incredible. Ashley is an absolute ray of sunshine, but she's also no bullshit about the challenges of entrepreneurship. Also, it would be a dereliction of duty in this intro if I didn't talk about what it was like to make ice cream all the time. Because you've heard me talk about this with brewers and I bring it up in this episode, but ice cream is like something that's a treat, something that people look forward to. What happens when that becomes your entire life? right? Where you're thinking about ice cream all the time. How do you deal with that level of burnout while still developing new flavors, while still doing a high level product, while still interacting with the customers and making them excited about what you're doing? It's all in here. It's phenomenal. Now, before I go any further, got to pay a bill of my own with a fellow entrepreneur. Our sponsor is Four Degrees, the number four, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. My good buddy, Zach, left the same PR firm that I was working for the same day. We handed in our resignations on the same day. I went and took a job, an ill-fated job, at an energy drink. Zach started four degrees. You know when this was? This was like 11 years ago. Anytime you're in business for that long, that is remarkable success. 
And Zach has proven himself time and time again to be at the top of his field. So no matter what kind of online campaign you're doing, whether you're trying to reach consumers, customers, voters, Zach and his team will design a website, an outreach strategy, and anything else you need to ensure that your dollars are going as far as they possibly can. No one's better at this. All of the best outreach technology comes from campaigns. That is where Zach cut his teeth. So if you're doing anything online, Four Degrees can help you do it better. Hit them up online. The number four, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. Proud sponsor of the John of All Trades podcast. Been with me since the beginning. I love pointing you to them. Now then, let's get to episode 299 of the John of All Trades podcast. My guest is Ashley Garrison, co-owner of The Hop. Phenomenal ice cream in Asheville, North Carolina. They're on best of lists all throughout the country. Check them out. You can find everything on the companion blog piece, johnofalltrades.us, or in the show notes. But before you do that, listen to this episode 299 with Ashley Garrison starts right now. We try and do things for staff as frequently as we can. It's hard because we're, we have several locations and trying to get everybody together all at once means that we do have to shut down. So we only close three days a year and it's Christmas, Thanksgiving and the rafting trip. Wow. Three days a year you're closed. That's it. Yeah. Unless it's like crazy snow, but if somebody can walk to work, then we're open. Snow days, big ice cream days too. I'm sure. Right. Yeah, ice cream, hot chocolate, coffees, things like that. Yeah, no, of course. All right, so this is Ashley. I want to call you Ashley Mason because that's what I know you as. Uh, that's how we started. But this is Ashley Garrison, and I was actually at your wedding um, uh-huh. to the wonderful Greg Garrison. And we've been friends since, good God, what, 1998, something like that? Yeah. You are the co-owner of The Hop, which is a fabulous ice cream store in Asheville, North Carolina, and a chain of them. How many locations do you have now? Uh, we have four retail spots and a production facility. Okay, wow. This has come quite a long way since I first was introduced to the hop when I was actually at your wedding. I think you and Greg were just employees there, right? Right, okay. yeah. And what year was that? That was like 2005. Yeah, 2005. Okay, so funny story. This is uh, exactly the type of relationship we have. Our mutual friend Shannon picks me up from the airport to go to your wedding. You're already up at the venue, and Shannon tells me, uh, Ashley and Greg want you to make mixed CDs for their wedding. <laughs> and I go, okay. So I sat down on your couch that night, and I just banged out like five CDs, and like with bands I'd never heard of, but we played them at the wedding, and I, how were they? It was fantastic. I mean, it's definitely one of the memorable things was just listening to the music and not knowing what was coming next, but everything being perfect. <laughs> that's, I, I mean, like, and that's sort of how we forged our bond. We were both a couple of little skate yeah. punk kids in high school. You still a punk rocker? I mean, I definitely like to blast some Streetlight Manifesto and Lawrence Arms in the car. Kids know the words to some songs, for better or worse. Yeah. So, so I've got my lag wagon shirt. Awesome. Um, my kids' favorite song, uh, favorite songs are like Ruby Soho by Rancid. Nice. And, um, they love the Interrupters cover of Bad Guy by Billie Eilish. Have you heard that one? I haven't, no. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, you and I, I remember we would hang out, we would like, and your room used to be covered with like punk posters. And I'm like, wow, she is way more punk rock than I am. And that was always <laughs> so cool to me. I gave the impression that I was way more punk. <laughs> I, I made sure that I had all my like, Faces covered with the proper posters and whatnot. <laughs> well, I mean, and we used to listen to it every day because I used to pick you up on the way to school too. 
And so we would drive to school every day and we'd be listening to like Goldfinger and Mad Caddies and um I still love all that stuff. Mad Caddies are coming here October thirtieth. Oh dang. So yeah, they're playing with mustard plug actually. Oh my gosh. That's crazy. Did you go with me to the mustard plug show? Uh in Texas? What show did we go to? There was a show at Fitzgerald's where I got that ticket coming back home because I was going Oh, I yeah. say how fast. <laughs> and then the cop like pulled her gun on us. Oh, uh, wow. Um <laughs> Yeah, oh my gosh. I had forgotten that story. No, I think we were going to see AFI that night. Was that that show? Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> where, yeah. where we went with like Jason Riddell and Saul. Yeah. Um and we were <laughs> like we were sitting way up in the balcony and we were watching like AFI and Fury sixty six. Yeah. Um, Damn, you remember who? But that's crazy. <laughs> I remember the opening band too. Was this terrible band called the Shenanigans out of <laughs> San Francisco? They sucked, man. It was terrible. Um, but yeah, that that sort of gives you a snapshot into our relationship. And what's so funny? We were talking about this before we got on. We were only in that same city together for like a year, and mm-hmm. it was before really texting and stuff. But we used to like just call each other on the phone, probably what once every two weeks, once at least once a month for years, right? Yeah. It's remarkable the way that pays off. And so I, I can't believe it's taken me this long. This is going to be episode 299 to do this with you. But like sometimes I'm thinking about my own backyard. But I mean, you are, you have a remarkable entrepreneur story here. And so like, let's go through this. You were a softball player in high school. Mm-hmm. And it was great because sometimes you'd have tournaments out in Colorado. Yep. And so we would hang out here. We'd party. Did you go to college on scholarship? I can't remember. I did, yeah. Okay. And was that, that was in Birmingham, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. What brought you to North Carolina? Because I know you were in Alabama for a while playing softball and you transferred up yeah. to UNC Asheville. What, what was the story behind that? Well, Greg is now my husband. I met in high school. We started dating in high school. Really? Was, and... so that had to be after I left. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was his senior year. So he's a year older. So he's your age. Um, okay. So I was a junior when I met him and we started dating, but he was a senior and he graduated just a few months after we met. And then he came to play soccer at UNC Asheville. Okay. And so I had another year of high school and then I got scholarship to play softball at Birmingham Southern. And so I went there for two years and then it was like, not my scene. It was very over it. And so I transferred to UNCA and moved in with Greg when I was on my 20th birthday. I moved out. How how did your parents like that? Well, they didn't like it. No, they were, (laughs) they said, you're 20, you're going to be barefoot and pregnant within a year. And (laughs) and I was working two jobs, like 50 hours a week, and I made Dean's List. Jeez. So I made a, a point to show them that, you know, I was making a right decision and I mean, Greg and I went from a long distance relationship over three years to living together, working together and going to school together. Good God. I mean, after that first year, we're like, if we can survive that, you know, I think that we're, we're good for everything else. (laughs) Totally. Well, yeah. I mean, I remember you were doing the long distance thing and when we would talk on the phone, you'd always talk about how hard it was. And I mean, I, I could only imagine, which I mean, three years, that's a long time to do that. And also, God, what a philosophy change from where you're doing long distance and then all of a sudden you are just thrown together in every aspect you could possibly be thrown together. How, how was that adjustment? It was rough. I mean, we were super young and Greg had been living by himself for several years too. And so like to have another person come into his space, you know, it was just, 
a major adjustment. We argued about how to stack the pots and pans and whether or not I could leave my clothes on the floor. You know, we had a very tiny old rundown apartment to where we only had a heater in one room. And so the back room ice would literally form on the walls because it was so cold. And we just had to like sleep in the living room because that was the only room with the heater. Oh, dude. So, you know, it's the trials and tribulations of college. Like you just survive that stuff because it's like, yeah, that's what you do. You eat Mr. P's pizza, you drink PBR, and you live in crappy apartments. So, <laughs> you know, as long as we're talking about boyfriends, we got to pay some love to shoot here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because, so I was there junior year. You were a sophomore, right? Like you're a year behind uh-huh. me. Okay. Yeah. And at lunch, like at our lunch table, it was you, me, and two exchange students who were, that was like our little crew. <laughs> Um, do you ever keep in touch with that guy? Because I think I friended Ulash, who was the German exchange student. He was a Turkish guy, lived in, yeah, he lived in Germany. But like, we became pals through the swim team, and then I was pals with you through punk rock, and you were dating Shude, and so, yeah, you, me, and the two exchange students, God, we sound like such losers with that, but. (laughs) Sweet guys. Oh, dude, the best. They were so good. Yeah, we lost touch a, a while ago. I went to go, I went to Norway, um, my senior year, um, and spent Christmas with Shude. And wow. that was amazing being up in, you know, Oslo and we even went north and it was just crazy amounts of snow and no daylight and definitely an epic trip. But okay. it was kind of, we realized during that trip that it probably wasn't going to work out because he had no plans to come back to the States and I had no plans to move to Norway. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's like a major lifestyle change for either of you. Yeah. Um, okay. So you're in college, you're working two jobs, 50 hours a week. You still make Dean's list. Were you done with softball at that point? Uh, UNCA had a club team. And so I played on the club team for like while I was a student and then I helped coach it Okay. for a few years after. Good God. Where does all this ambition come from? Because that's a crazy amount of work at all times. Uh, it's just kind of the pace that I've always managed. I mean, Greg's the same way. If we're not doing three things at once, we're kind of frantically trying to find something to do. Well, parenting certainly helps with that. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, that definitely slows <laughs> you down whether you want it to or not. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's no shortage of things to do ever. No. No. So, okay. So you started working at the hop. When was that? Wait, like what year was that? That was August of 03. Okay. And so I remember you telling me about it and you know, like you love the whole vibe there. You love the old building. Take me through the journey to how you started to own that. Because like we started to lose touch a little bit just by way of things. Like I met Kristen, I was in grad school, you know, you're starting your career. It's all, it's all very, very nuts. But I remember you said, yeah, I'm thinking about buying it. And I go, what are you talking about? And secondly, what was your major in college? I don't even know. Uh, biology. <laughs> okay. So, so not business or anything like that? No, definitely not. <laughs> what? Okay. So before we get there, what was your plan? Like, I know, I remember that you actually, you had a great aptitude for science. Did you have your eye on a career before sort of falling into this entrepreneurial life? Yeah, I wanted to go to vet school. Um, that was kind of my plan when I went to Birmingham Southern was I was hoping to do my undergrad there and then maybe get into like Auburn's vet school. But then I realized I just like could not stay in Alabama any longer. <laughs> Should have come um, to Colorado so, State, one of the best vet schools in the country. Yeah, that was definitely on the table. <laughs> oh, funny. Okay. Um, 
<laughs> Once I moved to Asheville, I mean, like the desire to be with my boyfriend was a very strong pull to Asheville. Yeah. And it's a, it's a beautiful place. I honestly never thought we would settle down here. NC State has a great vet program. And I figured that, you know, if I could finish up my undergrad at UNCA, then I would transfer to NC State. Greg actually got a coaching position um, at UNCA right before he graduated. Like they offered him the assistant, like full-time assistant for the men's and women's soccer teams. Wow. So that kind of put what I was wanting to do in a different light. It's like, well, I'm then going to have to move away from the person who I basically said I'm going to marry. I don't, we weren't engaged at that point. I mean, we were living together and like planning to spend the rest of our lives together, but not officially like planning wedding or anything. So um, I was trying to figure out what else I could do in Asheville. And I did an internship that was just like this unpaid internship that was amazing with um, my mentor in college, one of his students who went to Tulane University in Louisiana to finish his doctorate. Then Katrina hit. He got transplanted back to Asheville because his him and his wife were living up here before that. He was doing research with West Nile virus down in Louisiana. And then when he came to Asheville, he started working on something called lacrosse virus, which is another mosquito-borne disease. And he kind of brought me on to help in the lab and help like field collections and things like that. And I just, I loved it. I loved the full aspect of like being in a lab and doing like the biochemical side of it. And then also being in the field and doing collections and like looking at how there's like the socioeconomic thing that happens with vector-borne diseases, and I was definitely loving it, and we, I did it for about a year, and then Brian, who I was working for, had to go back to Tulane to finish his doctorate, and he's like, you know, you can keep up the research if you want, but I'm not going to be here to help, and I was like, it's, it's a lot. I was already working, like, I was working full-time at the hop, and trying to do the internship, like, 20 hours a week for no money. I I just kind of, it petered out. Okay. Um, and I had worked in a vet as well when I was working at the hop and realized very quickly I did not want to work for like a domestic pet veterinary yeah. practice. Um, just a completely different, you're dealing with people. You're not really dealing with the animals and that's hard. You, you're dealing so. with people now, but it's so it's funny. I had a vet on this show and I think listening to that episode, like if you're thinking about being a vet, there's a lot that goes into being a vet that is not what you think veterinary medicine is. Um, right. So much of it is, you're right, managing people. So much of it is yeah. entrepreneurship, business ownership, taxes, insurance, just on yeah, and on. Yeah, do it all. Yeah. Yeah. So I, once Greg got the coaching position, I was kind of like, all right, I'm just going to like take a break from science for a little bit and just put my head down and work hard at the hop. I quickly became like their manager and the previous owners had different things going on where, you know, they had had kind of a couple kids and they were thinking about moving out of state, but they wanted me to continue to run the business. So they moved to Georgia and just put me in charge. And <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> were you ready for that? I was not. I had no, I mean, I had worked for the business and I communicated with them a lot, but the business was very much struggling. And I, I was 23 24, somewhere in there, and just couldn't manage a small business by no, myself. I mean, were, like, were they checked out at that point, or did they just have this sort of, like, outsized faith in you, or both? I think it was a little bit of both, yeah. I mean, they trusted me to be able to do it, because I kind of had been doing it, 
they they pulled away pretty hard from the business and wanted to go off and do their own thing. And eventually they said, you know, we think that we're just going to sell the business. And so I kind of started like gears started turning in my head. I had been thinking about doing some sort of food related business, either like I've been kind of catering friends parties here and there and like practicing making desserts and was wondering if I could kind of strike out on my own. But then I was like, man, this is like an already established business. It was the business was started in 78. So it had like this great reputation in town, you know, generations had been coming to the business. I love the feel of it. So kind of started the negotiation process of us purchasing it. Wow. Okay. So first of all, I'm struck by one thing. You already have the work ethic for entrepreneurship. Like that's clear. You and Greg just immediately always taking on new projects and entrepreneurship. If you're not ready for it is a tidal wave. Um, oh, yeah. It, even if you are ready for it, it's still a tidal wave, but it just kind of uh-huh. depends on how you can manage it. But what's, what's interesting to me is, yeah, the hop, I imagine being around that long has some brand equity to it. Yeah. But you said it was struggling. So I, I've read on your website, you talk about this origin story. You talked to like a business consultant, right? About how to do this. And didn't that consultant tell you not to buy this business? Yeah, absolutely. It was two older white men who looked at me and looked at the book and they're like, this is a stupid idea. They're like, why would you buy a business? Why wouldn't you just start your own business? Yeah. And I was like, well, because it's established. It has clout in the community. You know, everybody knows the hop and you know, it's already got all the equipment and everything. Like if I was to go and do my own startup, you know, it's, it's from scratch. Yeah. And I was like, I believe in it. Like I had seen the ins and outs of running it and I was like, I can do it better. Like I can make the changes to make this business successful. And I mean, they're like, well, you can do it. And, you know, I'm, I might give it a couple years, but, you know, I wouldn't bank on it. Well, okay. Um, so as you were looking at the business, what were a couple of the things that you identified immediately that you would do differently, that you would do better, that, that they were falling short at? Uh, product number one. So the Hop had been making their own ice cream for more than a decade at that point. And they had started reducing the quality significantly to try and cut costs. And then they oh, eventually yeah. started purchasing other products that they didn't make. So they were buying like Blue Bunny and Hershey's and things like that to put in the cabinet, but then not telling people. Oh, um, God. So I was pretty uncomfortable with that because I was the one there every day, you know, having to sell this and people will be like, Oh, is this a new flavor? And I have to not, I, I could never lie about it, but I'd be like, I mean, I can show you the container it's in. Yeah. That, uh, that's not a good feeling where you're, you're selling one thing, but you're kind of receiving another. Yeah. So I, I definitely knew that I can improve the product. I can improve the recipes, just improve the general business management. I mean, I know it was hard for previous owners because they had several small children, like they had several in succession. And so they just had babies they were bringing to work. And now as a parent, I know how hard that can be. Yeah. Um, and so I definitely like give them lots of space for all the transitions that they went through during that time. But also it was, I think a time just when business in general was changing. It was like 2007, 2008 with the economy was kind of tanking at that point. Yeah. And businesses were struggling and they couldn't just fly by on what they've been doing for the last 10 years. Like they really had to step it up a notch. And so that's what Greg and I were pretty dedicated to doing if we were going to take on the business. Totally. I remember talking to you right around the time I was getting married. So that was in 2009. 
And I feel like at the time you were working like these insane 80, 90, 100 hour weeks. Yeah. And you, like you, and you guys had no money either. So, mm-hmm. uh, you told me you couldn't make it out to my wedding. I understood that was fine. But I remember thinking, I'm like, God, what is she doing out there? And so <clears throat> once you bought this business, how did it line up to your expectations? Because I, I mean, I already alluded to the workload, but what were those early days like for you as now this is holy crap. We have this. This is our thing and mm-hmm. do or die here. Right. So how was it? Um, I mean, do or die is the perfect phrase. I walked into it cocky thinking <laughs> five years, like it's not going to be that much different, but all of a sudden you're responsible for every dollar that goes, comes into the business and like paying everybody all the, we had like two or three employees. Like it was right. Greg and I 90% of the time, but like paying all the bills and like figuring out how to make it through a winter. I mean, we bought a business, we bought a seasonal business going into the off season. So I think that we had $16,000 in startup capital and we spent that in like two days. Oh God! So Greg was working full time at UNCA and he was coaching and he was tutoring so that we could pay our mortgage and our car payments and any extra money. We were buying supplies for the business as well. Oh God. Um, And then if we could get groceries, that was a bonus. So it was scary. It was super scary, but we also took a big loan from Greg's dad. And so it was like not even just ourselves that we were responsible for. It's like we can't let his dad down as well. So we just worked all the time. We sacrificed everything. All of us, like our friends didn't see us for a couple of years. And, you know, we were every single shift. I feel like we went like three months without a day off. Oh. Where we just worked a week and, you know. We'd get there at 10 in the morning, and sometimes I wouldn't leave until 1 in the morning if ice cream had to be made. I mean, I was making all the ice cream. And we had a couple staff members for when it got, like, super busy, and I was, like, making ice cream in the back and running up front to help customers at the same time. And then she would be ringing people up, and I don't know how we did it, but somehow we managed it and survived. (laughs) Dude, that'll – oh, man, that'll turn you into a powder. Just Uh – Like, I mean, that, that'll grind you down into nothing to death. How long did that last until, like, okay, different question. At what point did you go, okay, I can take at least a small inhale and feel kind of okay about things? How long did that take? I think by the one year mark, we had like been through a year and I think that our total sales I want to say we're like 116,000. I feel like the fact that we got over a hundred thousand in sales our first year, we were ecstatic. Like yeah. we couldn't believe that we'd actually done that. I mean, we didn't make a dime, but you know, <laughs> right. we saw the potential for growth and we were advertising like crazy. And when I say advertising, I don't mean we were like paying money for somebody to like run ads for us. I was in like Microsoft paint making <laughs> flyers and we were going around town handing out flyers for free scoops of ice cream or we were going to events and giving away free scoops of ice cream or we were hosting events in the store to bring people in like we would hire a local talent um like singers or like comedians or kids magicians and so every week we were putting on free entertainment to try and draw people to our location and we were seeing a return on it it was minuscule, but like the word was getting out. 
Yeah. Um, and we just realized that we had to try and be everywhere we possibly could in order to let people know that we were there, we were under new management, and that it was a new business. Because we definitely lost a huge amount of our customers with the transition with previous owners. And um, they had moved it to a new location. So the location that you had been at, they moved that in 2007, okay. and then we bought it in 2008. So a lot of people thought the hot had just closed altogether. Yeah. So it was rebuilding a lot that first year, two years. I mean, even three years in, people were still like, oh, I thought you'd been closed this whole time. Like, we never closed. We just moved. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, and thank you for that. That makes me feel good. So, okay, what uh, what was Greg's background in college? What Like, what did he major in? <clears throat> Theoretical mathematics. Good God. Okay, so neither of you have business training. You're just doing all this on the fly. Mm-hmm. And obviously you took to it. The hustle part you can't teach. And, you know, coming up in the punk community too, like DIY, I mean, how many mm-hmm. shows did you go to where you'd be in like someone's basement or something, or you'd be like in some rec center, like side meeting room. Uh, and yeah. you know, you, you're just surrounded by this energy where people are like, I don't care. I'm going to make this thing happen. That's just phenomenal training. But in terms of the actual like business side of it, were there parts of it that came more natural to you or were there parts that, that did not come quite as naturally to you? Like how was it learning the actual business rhythms? Well, I thought I was pretty smart and that I could handle all the books. And we realized after several years when Greg's dad finally stepped in and was like, maybe I could help because he's an accountant, realized that I did not know how to do the books. I had a bookkeeper who did taxes for me. So sure. like I knew I at least wasn't on the hook for like the big stuff. But like I did payroll and the just daily sales entry. And we just, I mean, we had one of those registers that was still like not digital. Like you just punch the numbers in for everything. So for a couple of years, we weren't hardly even able to track what we were selling. Yeah. We were great at customer service. We're like great people, people. Like we know yeah. how to talk to folks. We know how to make people feel good. And that's, I mean, we're also giving them ice cream. So <laughs> it's, instantaneous gratification in what we're doing. And that's what we loved. It's like, if somebody's having a crappy day, they come and get ice cream and they feel better leaving. If somebody's having a great day and they're celebrating, they come get ice cream and they leave feeling even better. So like we had that working in our favor. And we found that it was also a very versatile product that we did so many events. At one point we were doing 500 events a year. God, And, and that's just, it. that was in addition to our locations that we're bringing people in. And I mean, we worked cabaret shows. We got in with all the music venues. And so we got to scoop at all kinds of awesome shows. Why? So, like, okay. For- so I, I got to stop you there. I, why have I never been to a show out here that has ice cream at it? Like that's, re- that, that, that's <laughs> no kidding. Right. Because that's brilliant. I, you're watching a concert. People mm-hmm. are potentially indulging in, you know, uh, m- mood and mind altering substances. You have a scoop of ice cream with you. My God, that takes the show to a next level. I can't believe I'd never put that together. That's brilliant. Yeah. It, I mean, it definitely has been awesome for us, especially in the early days when we like had no social life. We're like, <laughs> cool, we get to go to a show. <laughs> totally. <laughs> well, and Asheville, like Asheville's a cool, like kind of hipster town too. So I imagine you have good acts that come through there. Yeah, we've got some great venues here. The Orange Peel is like our main venue, and they're starting to do some really awesome outdoor venues now, and that's bringing in some bigger talent. But we were in everywhere we possibly could be. So, God, that's awesome. On top of all this business stuff, you are working to develop a really high-quality product. 
and mm-hmm. you said you and and so you've been mentioned on all sorts of lists for vegan ice cream and you know creative flavors and things. You tagged me once on Facebook. You were making like a sriracha flavor because I'm like the sriracha guy, and so it's in your honor, by the way. <laughs> oh, thank you. That's so nice. Um, <laughs> and it's so funny. Yeah, we texted about this too. Like, I think about you more than I think um, our time together would seem to indicate, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. And so in addition to all this business stuff, you also have to be creative and develop flavors. You said you'd been working on desserts and stuff and working on some catering and things like that. What did you learn in the process of trying to create new flavors? How was that process for you? And and how, how are you feeling about the, the product that you create? I learned pretty quickly that I could, I would know what a flavor would taste like and I would create it. Like hmm. I would have I would, like reverse engineer. Like I'm like, I want it to taste like this. Like I have this idea for a flavor and I just have to figure out how to make this taste come to life. I mean, I was, we got inspiration from kind of all over. I would read restaurant menus and see what kind of pairings they were doing. I was collaborating with other local business owners, like people that make products. We've done a Lusty Monk mustard ice cream, which is a local mustard company. And we realized that people really get excited about unique, interesting flavors. Cause it's not just chocolate, vanilla, butter, pond. Right. Um, so, you know, doing a sriracha flavor. Uh, we did an Aztec chocolate, which was like a chocolate with cayenne, like a little bit of a kick. There, and there's one that you're known for. It's blueberry kale. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me about that one. I was making lots of smoothies at the time. And it's like, I mean, people put spinach and kale in smoothies all the time. Yeah. Why wouldn't I put it in ice cream? And when you blend, we put a, like a pound and a half of kale in every batch. Jeez. And when you blend it into the base, it's just like bright, vibrant, green, gorgeous color. And we decided we needed like a little something to sweeten it up. So we did like a blueberry jam swirl with it. And it's a gorgeous color. So like visually it's attractive and it tastes really good too. And we're telling people like, you know, you're getting vegetables, you know. <laughs> totally. Well, it's so funny with the, uh, with the interesting flavors because there's a place here called Ice Cream Riot. And one of the flavors that they are best known for is Goldfish Cracker. Oh, wow. And so, and I've had it. It's, it's different. I mean, like savory ice cream is, is kind of uh, an interesting beast. Right. And it, it takes a, a little bit of time for your, it's, it's almost like your brain needs to catch up with your mouth because your mouth is like, this is really good, but your brain is like, no, this is wrong. This is incorrect. Yeah. <laughs> and so do you ever like get that reaction? And is that tough to overcome with people? Yes. Um, I mean, some people just like live for it. They're like, give me the craziest flavor you have. And then other people are like, this is wrong. You shouldn't put this in ice cream. <laughs> so we've definitely done a couple that flopped and I'm like totally fine with that because we were experimenting and it was like, worth a try and those ones that flopped i know i could make them now and they would sell Interesting. so i've like i've learned more about how to how to market it and how to like combine the flavors but i mean in the beginning i think one of the strangest ones that i did early on was i did a flavor called the elvis which was a peanut butter banana with bacon in it oh yeah and i mean it's delicious and it, it was poor execution on my part and it definitely it didn't sell as well as i was hoping it would mm. But if I made it now, I'd be dang it. <laughs> One thing I, I'm always fascinated by when it comes to industries of, say, leisure, right? Because you mentioned people come in for a hard day. They get some ice cream. They feel better. They come in after a good day. They get some ice cream. They feel even better. This is your life. And I talk about this with brewers a lot. 
because mm-hmm. and what I liken it to is like if you love beer, think thinking about being a brewer is like a dream job. But all of a sudden you're drinking beer every single day. And when you are developing ice cream flavors, you have to eat ice cream every single day. Do you ever get burned out on that? And how do you overcome that? Because you're making lots and lots of ice cream. You're always developing new flavors. And at a certain point, I've, I've likened it to this. It's almost like being married to a nymphomaniac where you go, it's fun for a while. And then all of a sudden you're like, Oh my God, this again. Like I, I can't yeah. do this <laughs> anymore. Yeah. How do you deal with that? I think that we have enough variety that that's what keeps it interesting. And also, I'm super lactose intolerant, so what? I can't eat the ice cream. <laughs> I can eat little bits, but I definitely can't eat a whole lot of it. Like, I'll eat the vegan ice cream. And honestly, once COVID hit, that was like our go-to. We we mostly stopped drinking when COVID hit, which was like a complete opposite shift of where we had been and what most people were doing. Yeah, I went um, the other direction, and I, I wish I had gone your direction. That would have been better. <laughs> Well, we replaced it with sugar, so we were eating pints of ice cream every night. And, I mean, I've, I've been up and down. There's some flavors, like, I won't even try. Like, I'm not interested in them. There's a lot of flavors that are just not worth the calories to me, personally. I know there's people that like them, but I'm not going to eat them. I don't want to try them or anything. Um, yeah, but you got to do a little QAQC, right? I mean, is that? Totally. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm constantly, so I've got three to five people who make ice cream right now. And, you know, if I'm in the room, I'm kind of going over there and like tasting things and checking stuff out. Cause I feel like you always have to be monitoring your product and it can always be better. Like I don't want anything to be considered like final product, a finished product mm. because techniques get better, products get better, methods get better. You know, we can always make what we're doing better. Mm. Um, like Greg and I, like our family philosophy is just get better every day. And so that goes for every aspect of the business and. You know, our, the main part of our business is our product. So I, you know, I have to be trying it. (laughs) Yes. Darn. Yeah. Oh, too bad. Right. You've, you've created this product. You get on all sorts of lists. You know, you have great vegan ice cream. Um, also all of your materials in the shop are compostable. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, which I think are brilliant brand choices, particularly if you've made them years ago, because now that's sort of coming into vogue a little bit more. People are understanding right. that you're ahead of the curve. At what point did you start to level up? And I, I suspect it was when you thought about opening a second location. How long did that take? And related question, at what point did you start paying yourselves? So we bought the business in 2008. And we had one location in the north part of town. And that was the only hot location. In 2010, there was an ice cream shop in the west part of town, West Asheville, that we had kind of been watching. They were not making their own ice cream. They were buying other people's ice cream and selling it. And I noticed a ad on Craigslist, I think, where they were saying they were going to close for the winter and they were looking for somebody to rent out the space to use it as like, for meetings or to have like a small retail shop. And Greg and I were sitting at an event and I was like, Hey, you should go down there and talk to them. And like, maybe we can run it during the winter time. And then they don't have to worry about it. Like we could just manage it for them. And you know, they can still keep the business. Now I'm like, who would ever say yes to that? Like (laughs) that was a stupid idea, but it started a conversation where by the end of that day, Greg talked to the owners and they're like, why don't you just buy it from us? <laughs> and it was maybe 
two weeks before they had typed up an agreement, like an asset purchase, and then maybe four weeks before we bought it. Jeez, that is fast. So we have a tendency to see something that's an opportunity, and we've got a pretty good gauge on what's going to work and what's not. Um, that's kind of been a recurring theme for us, which I'm super grateful for, because that location is amazing in West Asheville. It's, we live in West Asheville. It's a great little shop. And the previous ice cream shop owners own the building. Oh, and great. so there are landlords. We love them. They're wonderful. It's a great relationship. And now we've got this great hot spot in a bustling, you know, downtown area. So that was 2010. And that meant that Greg was working at that location. I was working at North location. We never saw each other. Yeah. Uh, Cause this was still in the first couple of years of owning the business. We started to get some managers on. It really wasn't until 2011 that we got Gretchen, who's now our general manager. She was the game changer for all of this. Like she came on and started working, working for us. And we're like, Oh, thank goodness. Somebody who's just like willing to take stuff on. And it got to the point where she was like, if you don't give me more responsibility and more stuff to do, I'm going to quit. Like wow. you guys are doing everything and not giving anything to your staff. Like you need to offload so that you guys can do other things. And no one had ever, that had never occurred to me that like I should be offloading and delegating. I was like, I'll just do it myself because it's easier. I know it'll get done right. That's probably one of the hardest things to do in a fresh business is to yeah. learn how to let go and to trust someone to do things the way that you would do them. Totally. And I mean, I'll tell you, like someone like that, that is such a gift to have someone who wants that. And I know just from my own personal experience, the way I've leveled up in my own career is I'm always asking for more things to do. Like even if I'm slammed, even if I'm busy, going to your leadership and saying, what can I take off your plate? What can I do? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You make yourself indispensable that way. So where did Gretchen come from? How, how did uh, how did she come into your orbit? She's just a gift in general. <laughs> she was She had moved here from Virginia and she had worked at an ice cream shop in Virginia. Okay. And so she and her boyfriend moved here together and they were both kind of like in school, kind of working. He was working at a burrito place. And so, you know, she got a job at the ice cream shop, the local ice cream shop. The more that she worked, the more that she wanted to take on, the more that she believed in what we were doing. I don't say this lightly when she's like the single most important person in our lives, huh. you know, wow. to have let our business do what it needed to do. I mean, she's still with us. She's leaving within a year, which is heartbreaking to think about, but she's a very wonderful person and she's going to go on and do big, wonderful things. So we're endlessly grateful for her taking that on. And even now as general manager, she's constantly communicating with us. She's like the liaison between us and staff and manages more than any one person possibly could. And she's learning how to delegate. It's the same sort of thing that she's having to do too, where she's in charge of so much. She's like, I have to offload this stuff because I physically can't do it. But how do I make sure that somebody's going to do it to the same standard? God, so. that, that's amazing. Yeah. Someone like that, just pure manna from heaven. Do you, uh, do you have someone lined up who can potentially fill that role? We're working on it. We sure. don't have a person yet. We have several people that we can kind of delegate her main duties to right now, but I think that we're going to need to hire somebody outside to be a general manager or somebody that yeah. has like general manager experience just because we added a new location this year and it's, it's a lot. Next year, Lily will be in kindergarten. So I'll have like two kids in school full time. That'll change a lot for us because yeah. we haven't really had 
steady childcare for a couple of years now with COVID. And, you know, we had a nanny when Finn was little, but um, she left around 2018 and then shit got a little rocky <laughs> after that. Cause we just had kids in tow all the time. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So Finn, how old is Finn? He's eight. Okay. Cause Grace will be seven this year and Sloan just turned five. So Lily is, is she five? Today, yeah. Today, that's right. Oh my gosh. Um, and so I, yeah, I know what it's like. And Sloan is going into kindergarten this year. And so that means our childcare bills, because we've got them like in full time stuff. And God, we're paying for day camps right now, which is just brutal. Yeah. Yeah. It's an investment that <laughs> I feel like nobody preps you for that. Like, don't forget, you're going to need a second job just to pay for summertime childcare. Yeah. Or be prepared to, uh, you know, pay your visa bill very, very slowly as it accumulates over time, yeah. uh, which is also a thrill. God love it. You opened the second location a couple of years afterward. Um, did that, how were you feeling at that point? You and Greg never saw each other. You got Gretchen, but were the revenues matching with, I mean, cause that's additional capital outlay at that point. Um, mm-hmm. and so you, you end up spreading yourself thin. Did that ultimately, was that helpful or was that a hindrance to you getting more and more financially solvent? It was helpful. Our rent was extremely affordable at the West Asheville location. Nice. And from day one, we had pretty good income from that location. It was already an ice cream shop and it wasn't really well advertised before we took over. But I think putting our name on it, people were like, oh, cool. There's a hop in West Asheville now. Yeah. And so that we, we kind of called it like our cash cow to start with because our Merriman location, our overhead is astronomical. Mm. It's a huge space. It's almost 3,000 square feet, Good which God. is ridiculous for an ice cream shop. Yeah. Um, and so it's just this like huge burden on us constantly for us to try and generate enough revenue for it to cover its own expenses. And then we had this tiny little like 700 square foot shop that could do the same amount of sales. Nice. And so we instantly had a little bit of a buffer starting to show itself. It, you know, it was so like us working and trying to keep payroll down and, you know, not taking paychecks. If we couldn't pay our employees, I was taken on as like an employee of the business. So I was able to take a paycheck. It was, it was tiny. It yeah. was enough to like cover some groceries, but we did have a little bit of income from that. Greg was still working full time until 2010 when he quit coaching, but he kept tutoring. Okay. So he was tutoring 10 to 20 hours a week at that point, I think. But him quitting coaching was amazing. And that was the only reason why we could open the second store, because when he was coaching, he was traveling. So we lost the outside income, but we felt like the business was going to start to give us a little bit more. And it wasn't until like probably 2013 when we had Finn that we felt like we had a little breathing room. Okay. And I was back at work when Finn was two weeks old, working a birthday party, painting faces while he's in a like rocking chair next to me. And I'm rocking it with my foot and painting kids faces because I didn't have staff at that point. Yeah. And I was making ice cream with them in the ice cream room every day. And, you know, had the pack and play in the back room. That was rough. Yeah. Like, Like I had a very long labor and the recovery time was not non-existent. And then I just went straight back into work. So 2013 was really hard on us. And I don't think that we got a nanny until the next year when he was like 18 months. 
I think. Jeez, that's a long and those like that's the hardest time too because I'm a coach at boot camp for new dads and so I always tell these guys like the first part is the hardest part. Like now that they're older, I mean they're annoying in different ways, but mm-hmm. they're not as sort of labor intensive because you literally have right. to do every single thing for them. Yeah. My God, Ashley, that's that's wild. Did you ever have any thoughts about quitting or selling? No, because I still heard those people telling me that it wasn't going to work out. And that was such a motivator for me. Oh, put the chip on your shoulder, right? You're like, oh, no. Tell me I can't do something. (laughs) And I'm going to bust my ass to make like show you that I can. Yeah. You're like, you're like Michael Jordan that way. That's like, (laughs) because like the, he, he uses every perceived slight to motivate Uh himself. And so I sounds like you're, you're pathologically competitive in that way. I'm very competitive. I lack confidence and I question every decision that I make, but it's because I am very analytical and I want to make sure that I'm making the right decision. And so, I mean, if you're around me at any point, I'm going to say, what do you think of this? Or like, do you think this is right? I I need feedback. Um, But ultimately I have a pretty good read on things. And it's like I said, with the locations, like I see an opportunity and I know it's going to be a good one and I know it's going to work out. So we never, I mean, on hard days, you know, we cry, we'd struggle, but it never occurred to us to quit. Um, that was just not an option. Wow. So. Uh, well, I mean, that's a testament to you because it, it, it sounds like it would have been fairly easy to quit. And additionally, you've now built this thing up into an actual thing. I mean, you've made a lot of best of lists. Uh, the mm-hmm. media coverage is always helpful. You were on... That whatever that like Norman Reedus show was on uh, AMC, like yeah. you get a little bite on that one, right? Yeah, he came by and got ice cream. <laughs> Did you meet him? I didn't, and our staff didn't even tell us that he had come by until like a week later. And <laughs> I was like, "How do you not tell us that Norman Reedus is in the store?" <laughs> yeah, I mean, come so on. We had um, Josh Brolin was filming a movie in here, and he was getting ice cream every single week because <laughs> he was trying to bulk up. Like he had to gain a lot of weight for the show. And so sometimes he was coming in multiple times a week to get ice cream and the staff were babies and didn't know who Josh Brolin was. And I'm like, <laughs> Goonie, come on. Everybody's seen the Goonies. <laughs> We've had awesome exposure in different ways throughout the years, like food network and Southern living and things like that. Um, and they've just been kind of like little bits here and there. And it always gives us a good boost. Yeah. We're always appreciative when somebody picks it up. Yeah. So you're now at, you said four locations in a production facility? Uh-huh. Okay. So, that, I mean, that is any, – any time you can get to that many locations, that, that is a clear marker of success. What are the challenges now for you in managing this business versus when you were starting it out? Because ramping up is its own set of challenges. But now you have to sustain this growth. You know, you're, you've climbed sort of one mountain, and it's kind of windy up there. What do the challenges look like today? People management. For sure. We, ah, the, the reason you did not want to get into vet work and now here you are, right? <laughs> right. In a different way though. I mean, it's still, it was unexpected how much time we would have to invest in helping our staff. But very early on, we were committed to helping our staff in any way that we could. And we felt like this is something that we see other business owners doing. And this is where we benefit, I feel like, from not having business experience hmm. in that we don't have those same habits that a lot of businesses do where they treat employees as expendable or, you know, these are my standards. And if you don't meet them, you're not going to be here. We pride ourselves on being able to take 
any type of person from any background, as long as like we look for certain glimmers of things like like somebody who's definitely willing to like start a conversation, you know, it, it's customer service. You have to be able to greet somebody when they walk in the door. Um, somebody that's got a generally like pretty upbeat personality, you know, optimistic, like, you know, down for learning, but we invest so much time training and working with our staff and, you know, not checking baggage at the front door, you know, everybody's going to bring baggage to work and we don't expect them to leave it there. So, you know, we've started doing things like we call circle up where when staff comes in, they all kind of take a moment to just check in. Um, and say like a positive thing that's going on, something they're struggling with and like what they're hopeful for the day. And they don't have to share if they don't want to, but it's just an awesome platform for somebody to be like, Hey, my back is really hurting today. So, you know, if there's any heavy lifting, I prefer not to do it. I mean, just that sort of thing makes sense. And then also on the mental side, be like, I'm really struggling with some stuff in my personal life. If I seem a little bit off today, I just want you to know that I've got stuff going on. Yeah. If you know that about your coworker, it makes your job so much easier too, because you can adapt and it's such a tight knit community. We're not culty in the way some business businesses can be like we yeah. used to have to subscribe to our philosophy, but we're just trying to recognize the whole person in our business. And, you know, we have 15 and 16 year olds working for us, but then we also have 50 and 60, almost 70 year olds working for us. So we have this full spectrum of humans that everybody comes to work with a different perspective and a different thing going on in their lives. And we just want to like allow space for that. But that, I never anticipated investing so much time and energy into creating that in the business. We were mostly just like, let's focus on ice cream. Yeah. Well, yeah, <clears throat> the businesses are always, there's so many things that you do to do the thing that you think you're in business to do. Right. There's right. all this other crap like involved and like managing people is not crap, but there's, there's yeah. tons and tons of other stuff that allows you to do the thing that you think you're doing. And mm-hmm. I think people take that for granted. How many employees do you have total? Like how many full time? And I imagine you have some seasonal help too. Yeah. We have, I, I think that we have maybe eight employees that work 40 hours a week. Okay. I, we have four on salary. Um, and then everybody else is hourly. But, you know, we do have some hourly folks that put in 40 hours a week and they're like store managers. And then everybody else, you know, works five to 20 hours a week. Okay. So scheduling is a pain because <laughs> uh, most people have either school or second jobs. And so we're managing multiple schedules every single week. Yeah, that's like a magic trick. Um, I, I'm at like just that's a game of three dimensional chess at all times. Yes, absolutely. It takes hours. Wow. Gross. <laughs> okay. So you're at this point now. You got four locations, a production facility. What's next? What do you see next for the hop? Because I know, if I know you, you've always got your eye on the future. And so I, and I know, I, or at least I suspect maintenance mode is not uh, a mode that is all, that's not a rhythm that, that's going to jibe with you all that well. So where do you see the hop going from here? Yeah, I've always kind of thought of it as like stair steps. It's like once we get to a point where we're like comfortable and like coasting, we either have a kid or open another store. It's just been like every couple years, okay. you know, we just add something else into the mix to make it more fun. Sure. We're done having kids. So there's, there's no more of that. For Us sure. too. Yeah, we're good. And I really don't want any more locations. Honestly, our last two locations that we open were just boons of opportunity that we weren't planning on opening them, but it was something like, they made us an offer we couldn't refuse. 
and we jumped on it and it's been extremely, um, it's worked in our favor. We've benefited definitely from these new locations. So COVID was amazing for us as a business, which I hope other people say that, but it's not the usual thing that you hear. I mean, it was devastating from a financial standpoint. We lost half a million dollars and then also took out almost that much in loans. So we will be paying for COVID for a very long time. But during COVID, we laid off over 50 employees. It was just Greg and me. We were up at our production space and we had so much ice cream that we needed to like offload that we started doing curbside pickup and we created an online store and we have kind of developed this other part of our business with online sales, um, which has been fantastic. And even now that we all thought COVID was going to be over the summer and we'd move on to normality again, but that's probably not the case. Um, we're still doing curbside pickup and it's like contactless where they call, we bring it out to their car. Um, it's super easy and fluid. So we're looking at other options where we could capitalize on having this inventory at the production space and the online presence. Yeah. Uh, where maybe we'll do delivery. And I mean, there's like Uber Eats and Grubhub and we've got a couple local delivery places, but we're thinking about trying to do it internally where we have our own delivery drivers. Oh, sure. Um, just as far as like growing the business, we've kind of been toying with that, but honestly, our MO for the last year and a half since COVID hit was to make our business run as efficiently as possible. We basically decided while we were shut down to rebrand, redesign every single processes in the business. Wow. It's been a huge undertaking and definitely laid us out in June because we were opening the new location and trying to change everything all at once. And like Greg and I both got super sick the beginning of July because we were just exhausted. It was like we had finally gotten the store open and everything seemed to be going like things were implemented and we're like, okay, we can relax. And then we're just dead. <laughs> yeah. Wow. It's been- yeah. That God. And I mean, we didn't even talk about COVID, but that story is, I mean, not dissimilar from what you hear from other businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that's interesting too, in terms of expanding delivery, because I know there's companies like gold belly out there where mm-hmm. I've, I've ordered barbecue from Kansas city. I've gotten sandwiches from Philadelphia, yeah. these places that have this, this equity and like places you may not necessarily get to, uh, especially during COVID, but you get a taste of them. So, I mean, the hop has some equity there where, you know, I, I don't know if that's an avenue that you're even pursuing or thinking about, but that has sort of re-engineered a lot of people's thinking in terms of what's possible. And that's what I hear you describing, which is cool. Yeah. I mean, people are wanting things to show up on their front porch, you know, <laughs> right. grocery delivery, food delivery, Amazon. COVID has shown us that that's what people are like shifting towards. They don't want to leave their house for their amenities. Um, so, you know, we're, we're like, really great at pivoting. You know, we're flexible and we can change things whenever we feel like we need to. So delivery just seems natural. We've had people ask for it before and we're like, no, definitely can't do that. But now it's like, you know, we probably could. Um, it's probably gonna be Greg driving around town <laughs> delivering ice cream, but it, it's like back where you started in terms of, yeah. you know, just if we're doing something new, it's going to be us. And Right. I mean, you two are fearless about that, which is something I deeply, deeply admire about you both. 
we've never gotten to a point where we said, okay, we're just totally hands off now. Like the business can run independently. Yeah. It, it needs oversight and it needs our, our presence just because, you know, it all originated from us and we have to make sure that everybody is feeling the same things that we're feeling about it. We don't want it to ever feel like they're just being handed down mandates that they have to complete. Right. Like I want to be working side by side with somebody and explaining my, my thinking. So that they can know, oh, okay, I'm doing this for a reason. I'm not just doing it because somebody told me and it's mindless work. No, this really makes sense and like goes with the whole philosophy of the business. Well, two things to that point. I'm very similar in that way where, A, I'm not afraid to dig in the ditch. Like just hand me a shovel. I'll get back out there and I'll, I will dig the thing with whoever I'm with. And then secondly, when I'm teaching public speaking training, cause like I'll coach people through, you know, all sorts of media engagements and stuff like that. I always tell them, Look, I'm not going to ask you to do anything that I either haven't done myself or that I am unwilling to do. And so, like, if you show that, people will tend to follow you and and you get buy-in that way. So I I think that's a great philosophy. Yeah, I've definitely always been lead by example. I'm happy to show somebody how to clean the toilet if I know that the next time they'll do it the right way. And then I don't have to do it ever again. 100%. Okay. This is the part on the show where we do plugs. Where can people find the hop? Where can they... Get in touch with all hop-related stuff online, in real life, however you want to plug it. It's all yours. Um, we have a new beautiful website that's uh, hopicecreamnc.com. Uh, it has our online store on there. We are dabbling in shipping ice cream. I just shipped some ice cream to Virginia yesterday, and I ship maybe three or four times a year across the country. Um, so if somebody really wants to do that, they can shoot us an email, and we can get ice cream out there. You know, we're on Instagram and other social media platforms with just general updates about what we've got going on, new flavors and new collaborations and things like that. What are the handles on uh, social media? Uh, I think it's all hop ice cream NC now. Nice. All right. Well, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll link to all that in the companion blog piece. That's John of all trades.us J O N of all trades.us. It's also in the show notes. So if you're listening on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Pandora, which I'm now on Spotify or wherever you get your pods, you'll find it there. And Ashley, before we get out of here, I have to tell you, there are two songs, anytime they come on, you pop in my head. Can you guess what either of them are? I'll bet you could. I mean, one of them is definitely Goldfinger. Yep. Yep. Which, <laughs> which track? Do you know? Um, no, I don't. It's Mabel. Oh, uh, yeah. Duh. <laughs> I mean, of course, right? So anytime I hear Mabel, I go, oh, right. Yeah. yeah. Driving around with uh-huh. Ashley down in the woodlands. Um, Blasting it. <laughs> and the other one is a Mad Caddy song from Quality Softcore, uh-huh. and it's uh, Crew Cut Chuck. Uh, <laughs> because you'd be sitting next to me, I'd be driving, you'd be in the passenger seat, and it, it goes from punk song to like weirdo, twangy country song. And mm-hmm. anytime it would go to the country song, you would do the guitar with your mouth. <laughs> and so, like, it would come on, and you'd be like, wow, 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 doon, 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 doon. And so, like, that's how the song transitions. And you would do the wow, wow, wow. Um, mm-hmm. and so I picture that and it always just fills me with warm feelings. I'm so happy we got a chance to do this and no matter what Thanks. comes next, uh, I wish you continued success and let's not let so much time go by. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. And that'll do it for episode 299 of the John of All Trades podcast with Ashley Garrison, one of my absolute favorite people on earth. If you find yourself in the Asheville, North Carolina area, go to one of the four locations at the Hop. I mean, seriously, get yourself some handmade, creative, unbelievably good ice cream. You can find links to their website as well as their social channels on johnofalltrades.us or in the show notes, iTunes, 
Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Pandora, wherever you get your pods. And while you're there, leave us a rating, leave us a review, and hit that subscribe button. Brand new episodes will come directly to you. Episodes drop on Wednesdays. Episode previews are exclusive to Facebook. Those are on Mondays. Social media handle is J-O-A-T-Pod across platforms. That is Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, and Instagram. The John of All Trades podcast is a production of Deft Communications. Check out Deft on the web, D-E-F-T-C-O-M dot U-S. As I mentioned in this episode, I do training. I also do content. I do engagement. So if you're looking for media relations campaign, you're looking for me to design a training curriculum for your company or your group or your organization or whatever it is, I will do that. Also, I produce podcasts and three others in addition to this show that I produce. I'd love to produce one for you. So hit me up, John, J-O-N, at defcom.us, D-E-F-T-C-O-M.us. Next week is episode 300. Do I have something special on tap? No, because it's not actually episode 300. It's just the number 300. So maybe I should commemorate it a little better, but I'm getting a solo episode, so let's talk. I'll see you back here next week. And until I hear you again, say goodnight, Gracie. That's good, Johnny.